had a bunch of Kleenex boxes that he stacked and rearranged to keep himself busy. <laughs> I don't know what all the Kleenexes were for, but I think we, we don't want to know. I think we know. He had a cold. Yep. <laughs> Orange juice can't fix all nope. problems. Nope. Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. I have no idea what to say. Okay. I'm at a loss for words. (laughs) You're not even going to say hi. Hi. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Uh, We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurish best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? Howard Hughes and Joshua Abraham Norton. Hmm, sounds like quite a pair. Yes, as always, uh, but we ought to just jump right in, right? Hmm, I want to eat some Eggos first. We already had Eggos. I'm sorry, is that a problem for you? States of America, the other the actual Emperor of the United States of America. These men are known for being eccentric, but only one of them ever did anything with it. Howard Hughes and Joshua Abraham Norton, a pair of winners in a world of losers. But what is the perfect drink? Well, I read some pretentious piece of shit online about bullet coffee, which was invented after some starving climber was given green tea mixed with yak butter in the Himalayas. This inspired him to put butter in his coffee, which doesn't taste terrible, but kind of like, why? Yeah, that kind of sounds like bullshit. I think the perfect drink is chocolate milk with a shot of Bailey's. Yeah, but does that contain all the nutrition you need to survive a climb in the Himalayas? If you drink this shit, you aren't the kind of person who climbs in the Himalayas. Uh, fair enough. Computer, please bring up, uh, Howard Hughes and who was the other guy? Uh, Joshua Abraham Norton. Joshua Abraham Norton. Yes. Affirmative, my lord. Okay, so Aaron, what is Howard Hughes best known for? Howard Hughes is best known for being an incredible pilot. Hmm. Also a businessman, investor, filmmaker, philanthropist, and mega rich. Oh, so, okay, he did a lot of things. He did a lot of things. With a lot of money. Yeah, and was played by Leonardo DiCaprio in some movie I've never seen. Uh, oh. Yeah. Well, uh... Speaking of, what does he look like? Ah, well, he's a scrawny-looking kind of guy, with a smile that would bother just about anyone. He's got real thick eyebrows, very dark eyes, and excellent hair. He looks a bit sheepish about everything, which makes no sense because he was clearly successful. But it honestly doesn't matter how he looked, because he ended up being worth about $6.3 billion in today's money. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that is a lot of money. And uh, what is Joshua Abraham Norton best known for, James? Joshua Abraham Norton is best known for being the one and only Emperor of the United States. Fucking A. So tell us what he looked like. Oh, well, he looks like your typical Civil War general. He's got the curly locks of black hair, a nicely trimmed beard and mustache, and he likes to wear military uniforms as well. Ah, so, uh, was he a Civil War general? Actually, no. Um, although if more people had listened to him, there may never have been an American Civil War. Uh, More on this later. Okay. <laughs> well, I think it's just time to dive right into Howard Hughes' early life. Okay. So, we'll just begin with Howard was born in 1905 in either Humble, Texas or Houston, Texas. It has to be one or the other because Houston ain't humble. Anyway, sure. he claims he was born on Christmas Eve, 
But there are conflicting reports on that, too! I believe him, though, because, come on, who cares? Right. Yeah. yeah. Howard was the son of another Howard Hughes, who was the in, who was the inventor of Missouri. <laughs> inventor of? <laughs> who was an what? inventor from Missouri. Oh. I'm sorry. He was also a descendant of the guy who baptized George Washington, so there's that. Howard Sr. was a smart guy and invented an awesome drill bit, which he leased out. And using this money, he started the Hughes Tool Company in 1909. Okay. Taking after his father, Jr. really took an interest in tech, particularly engineering, and built a wireless radio transmitter when he was 11. Whoa. Yeah. And at 12, he built a motorcycle out of a broken steam engine and an old bike. <laughs> yeah. He rode it around town, eventually became featured in the local paper. Yeah. You know, at 12 years old, I think I was yelling at people on Team Fortress 2. Yeah, I was playing Battlefront. Yeah. The good Battlefront. Mm. But anyway. <laughs> so, uh, even though he was really a good inventor and could manage to piece all this shit together, he didn't like school. Um, okay. But he spent a lot of time on the side studying math. Uh, and things like that. Okay. At 14, he started flying planes and attending Caltech to study aeronautical engineering. Hmm. That's right. He went to Caltech he at 14. He a smart dude. Yeah. So in 1922, Hughes Jr. lost his mother, and then he lost his father in 1924. Oof. So now he's parentless, and at 19, he inherited 75% of the family fortune and declared himself an emancipated minor. Okay. In 1925, he married Ella Botts Rice and moved to Los Angeles, hoping to get into the film business. Hmm. And that's where we'll stop for now before we really get into what Howard Hughes was all about. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty promising setup. So, James, introduce us to Joshua Abraham Norton. Yes. So, Joshua Norton was born to parents John and Sarah Norton, who were English Jews. Uh, Joshua was probably born in London somewhere around 1818, before his family packed up and moved to the British colony of South Africa in 1820. Oh, that's a fun place to be in 1820. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're white, yeah, I mean... well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Not great>. <laughs> <laughs> we won't dive into that okay, here. We're only yeah. going to be here for a short while. Okay. So here he grew up, and there wasn't really anything on his upbringing. That's nice. Yep. <laughs> but his family seemed to do pretty well here financially, and in 1849, when Joshua was, was about 31 years old or so, he left his family and traveled to the booming town of San Francisco, California. Arriving in San Francisco, Norton immediately got involved with the market. Ah. He sold various commodities and also did real estate speculation. Nice! And he did super well for himself. After only about three years, Norton was one of the richest and most respected citizens of the entire city. I don't see how this could go wrong. No, no. absolutely not. No. Yeah. He's in his 30s, he's rich in California. Nice. Yeah. Uh, in December of 1852, Norton saw a business opportunity that could send his wealth soaring. Ooh. Uh, so you see, China was facing a severe famine at this point in time, and so the country banned all rice exports in order to attempt to save its own people. Like you do. Good for you, China. Yeah. Uh, because of this, rice pri prices skyrocketed in San Francisco and went from 4 cents a pound to 36 cents a pound. Wow. Which was quite a bit back then. Uh, and about this time, Norton heard that a ship named Glide was returning from Peru and was carrying about 200,000 pounds of rice. Wow. Uh, before the ship could unload the rice, Norton offered to sell the entire... Shipment? Uh, he offered to buy ah, the entire shipment. Okay. It's not his yet. Okay. Uh, but he buys it for $25,000. Nice. The crew agreed to this, and so now Norton had 200,000 pounds of rice and a market that was absolutely ready to buy it. Ah! 
But oh. then tragedy struck. Oh. Very soon after Norton signed the contract, several other ships with hundreds of oh. thousands of pounds of rice arrived in the San Francisco Harbor. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> this new influx of rice caused a pound of rice to now be worth about three cents a pound. Oh, shit. Norton had paid about 13 cents a pound for his rice. Holy shit. That's not good. No. <laughs> he, uh, he tried to back out of the contract and fought the rice dealers in court for like four years. Oh. But eventually lost the money when it reached the Supreme Court of California. Oh, shit. Norton lost pretty much all of his money. The bank foreclosed his mansion, and he was forced to file for bankruptcy in 1858. <sighs> he then moved to a working-class boarding house with his life in utter shambles. Well, that's depressing. Yeah. That's really depressing. He had it all, and then he bought some rice, and there you go. Hmm. So, this should be interesting. We've got two guys. Howard Hughes has it like, he has it all made. I mean, right. his parents did die, which is sad. But he's got the money, he's in Hollywood, he's ready or whatever, and... Norton has nothing, ah, well. so we'll have to see what they do with their lives. Well, uh, I think I know a little bit about Howard Hughes, but I don't know much about this Norton guy. So, mm, yeah. But anyway, I think it's time to move into Howard Hughes' adult life and just find out what he's doing now. Let's do so, it. So, when we left Howard Hughes, he was in L.A. trying to jumpstart a film career. Hmm. And while he was doing all that, he was making some serious moves in his father's business, the Hughes Tool Company. Basically, he restructured it to become an aerospace, defense, electronics, mass media manufacturing, and hospitality industry. Oh, yeah, it did a lot of things and therefore made a lot of money. And what did Howard Hughes do with his money? I, I don't know. Well, he gave a lot of it away because he was a good guy. Oh, wow. Good but for anyways, him. Yeah, so he's in L.A. He's giving his money away. He's running this huge business mm -hmm. um, and being so rich uh, he just starts directing films almost right away hmm. probably because of these professional connections and whatnot sure he directed two films called everybody's acting and two arabian nights and both both of these were financial successes the two arabian nights ended up winning hughes an academy award for best direction director of a comedy picture oh it was a comedy yeah doesn't huh. sound like it though no two arabian nights full of laughs, laughs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. he also made a film called hell's angels which was about some flyboys in world war one and made major bank on that one too okay so another academy award wow and then he produced scarface uh, which is a film classic yeah uh, and then he produced one called the outlaw and this one is just kind of hilarious in a lot of ways what, what do you mean yeah so you see one of the major draws to this film was jane russell's rack and that's Wait, not a joke. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm goddamn God serious. <laughs> uh, so Hughes was filming this thing and realized a few things. One, that Jane Russell's upper half was blessed by the Lord. Oh, dear. And two, he could sell a whole lot of tickets by underlining this fact. Oh, so all the promos and shit were basically just Jane Russell laying around in various revealing outfits. Uh, but this was not <laughs> enough for Hughes. So he designed a special bra for Miss Russell that used all kinds of physics and shit to reveal more of Jane Russell and also, also emphasize more of Jane Russell. So now she's like a cyborg. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With a mechanical bra. Yep. She's been augmented. But So the funny thing is he gave this to her and she was like, I don't need this thing. So she just didn't wear it and told Hughes that she was wearing it. Ooh. And Hughes just didn't notice because Jane Russell apparently didn't need the help. Uh, in fact, she so huh? didn't need the help that the film was nearly banned because of Jane Russell's blessings. Oh my God. <laughs> in fact, Hughes had to cut 40 feet of film in order to get it released. And all of this footage was just literally shots prominently featuring Jane Russell's Russells. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the film was still nearly canceled because of all of it. Yeah. Um, but Hughes had an idea. So he had all of his managers call clergymen, women's clubs, and even housewives that they knew in order to tell them about this lewd film that Hughes is about to release. Okay. And guess what? People protest. Yeah. And what happens <laughs> after that? 
The film gets the publicity it needs to get a release. Oh my god. But it's only in theaters for one week before it's pulled due to production code violations. <laughs> Three years later, it gets a wide release and becomes a box office hit. Well, yeah. Hilariously, this film is also seen as having gay undertones. It's also oh. in the public domain. And yes, I did watch part of it just to see how much of Russell I could actually see. And uh -huh. let me tell you, there are more gay undertones than shots of Jane Russell in there. R really? Which kind of goes to show that a film's marketing is often completely different from what you actually get in the theater. Okay. Yeah, fact of the day. <laughs> Another film Hughes had a part in was a film called The Conqueror, directed by Dick Powell and starring John Wayne as... Genghis Khan, I shit you not. Wait. Yeah. The John Wayne? The John Wayne. As a Mongolian yeah. conqueror. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most American thing yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, the film was completely burned to the ground by critics, <laughs> and he was bought up every copy he could find of the film, and then he watched it nearly every night for a long time. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, anyway, there's this dying Hollywood studio called RKO, which is both known for producing King Kong and Citizen Kane. Oh, shit. But it hasn't had a hit in quite a while, so Hughes buys up 25% of its stock, hoping to turn things around. Then he fires 75% of RKO RKO's personnel and shuts everything down for six months to investigate each remaining employee's political affiliation. What? Just to make sure they're clean of communism. Oh, good. Okay, well then I'm okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, for that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, by 1954, through a hell of litigation and all kinds of other bullshit, Hughes buys up pretty much whatever's left of RKO's rotting corpse. Hmm. Then he sells it to General Tire and Rubber Company. They were on the market for apparently film studio? Okay. <laughs> so at this time, Hughes quits the film industry and he's not without a good resume, obviously. Mm, yeah. He's seen uh, as like a so-called financial wizard. Hmm. But RKO didn't survive the buyout and closed down for good in 1957. Poor RKO. Poor, poor RKO. Hmm. Anyway. Hughes extends his businessy arm into real estate investing and starts making a fuck ton there as well. <laughs> One time he was just staying in some hotel and his time ran out, so he had to vacate, but he refused to leave and instead just bought the entire goddamn <laughs> hotel. <laughs> Must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> then he buys $300 million worth of hotels in Las Vegas and starts making profit off of those. Wow. Yeah. So, meanwhile, Hughes is also still interested in aviation. Hmm. He's a legendary pilot and is known for having survived four plane crashes throughout his life. What? Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, he gets more flying lessons and starts breaking world records. He also starts his own airplane production facility and builds the Hughes H1 Racer, which was a prop plane that could blast around at 407 miles per hour. Wow. It is the last privately owned plane to break any airspeed records. Huh. Uh, most started going to the military because they captured alien technology and started using it to build spaceships and shit. Yeah. yeah. Well, the world is hollow. Obviously. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Hughes took his plane and personally flew it from Los Angeles to Newark in seven and a half hours, beating his own record by two full hours. Wow. Yeah, so he also flew around the world in 91 hours, <laughs> beating the current record at the time by a full four days. Jesus. Yeah, they named an airport in Houston after him, but people had a problem with naming an airport after a living person, so they changed it back. Oh, okay. Then he won the Congressional Gold Medal for being such a great American or whatever, but he never went to pick it up, so they had to mail it to him. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like something you don't want to miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's Howard Hughes. I mean, yeah, he whatever. just flew around the world, so there. Yeah. Anyway, he's still building planes, and he <laughs> works on this one, uh, this monster of a plane called the Sikorsky S-43, which he tries to land in Lake Mead. 
He crashes into the lake, killing two of the plane's crew. Jeez. Oh, but Hughes really likes this plane, so even after it sank to the bottom, <laughs> he spent $600,000 to raise it and restore it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Hughes also flies a recon aircraft called the XF-11. Long story short, the plane goes down and crashes through three homes in Beverly Hills oh before my exploding. <laughs> it was still, I mean, it was piloted by Hughes, so yeah. he's in the crash, and he manages to get, to get out and crawl a safe distance away, uh, where he's helped out by a Marine and his buddy who just happened to be in the area. Oh, nice. Yep, so Hughes had a crushed collarbone, multiple broken ribs, ouch, a collapsed lung, oh. ouch, a heart that had shifted to the right side of his body? What? Yeah, and a whole lot of burns. Oh my god. Yeah, so he goes to the hospital, obviously, Yeah. and it's here that he decides his hospital bed isn't cool enough. So he hires some of his engineers to design a new one, one with hot and cold running water that ran through the mattress. Huh. The point of this was to help relieve the pain of his major burns that he had suffered during the crash. He didn't get a chance to use it, though, uh, but he sold the prototype. Sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> wow. Um, now, Hughes made a miraculous recovery, and when the doctors tried to take credit for it, Hughes said that that was incorrect, and that the thing that had saved his life was... Freshly squeezed orange juice. <laughs> it does wonders. <laughs> Apparently so. Yeah. But, you know, um, he was on opiates and codeine the whole time, so there's huh. that. <laughs> well, it's probably just a, the secret res uh, secret ingredient for his orange juice recipe. Oh, yeah, just the orange juice and... Uh, I've tried it. Freshly squeezed opiates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, he had this terrible scar from the, uh, from the crash, and so he started wearing a false mustache to hide it. It was on his upper lip, oh. which is a classic move. <laughs> yeah, uh, He was contracted to produce a flying boat for use during World War II, okay. and he did it, but not until World War II was over. Oh. <laughs> uh, it was officially called the Hercules, but was unofficially called the Spruce Goose, hmm. and it was the world's largest wooden aircraft. Its wingspan was 320 feet wide. Jesus. Yeah. It flew exactly once with Hughes at the stick. Of course. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, we're about to go to 1972, which is a major jump, but here we are. Okay. In 1972, the CIA came to town and asked Hughes to help raise a sunken Soviet sub off of Hawaii. Hmm. And this was convenient for the CIA because Hughes was well known for trying out new tech. So when a whole bunch of recovery boats appeared in Hawaii, nobody thought twice about it. It was Howard Hughes trying right. out new tech. Yep. Anyway, so this recovery goes underway, but there's a problem. What? The recovery ship has a faulty grapple device and ends up breaking the sub in half. Shit. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the half that was saved contained the bodies of six Soviet submariners, two nuclear-tipped torpedoes, <laughs> and a code machine. Oh, man. And the half that sank was never recovered. Uh, it contained a Soviet code book and nuclear missiles. Oh, shit. <laughs> so they're there off of Hawaii. Off of Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, now some tidbits. Hughes dated a lot of famous people, including Catherine Hepburn and Rita Hayworth. Wait, I thought he was married. Uh, yeah. Um, about that. <laughs> they have kind of like an open marriage oh, deal okay. going on, from what I understand. So, right. anyway, so... But anyway, he would take these these celebrities out on this huge-ass steam yacht, which he did nothing with and eventually <laughs> sold. Um, in 1936, he crashed into a pedestrian, was booked on suspicion of negligent homicide. Yes, the man died, and was acquitted <laughs> based on witness testimony. Uh, he had obsessive-compulsive disorder, and his favorite food was peas, which he used a special fork to sort based on size and shape. Of course he yes, did. which I do. I do. Really? Yeah, I take one little tip from each rich person I've heard of, and that's I do what they do. Habits of rich oh. people will make you rich. Peas. So each Pea organization. Each peas with a fork. Oh. But anyway, so going back to 1958, um, he was he uh, screened this movie. Uh, I'm sorry. He screened movie after movie for four months in a special theater. Hmm. So yeah, he just had this movie running for four months. But uh, really, the the thing is, he didn't actually leave the theater. So 
Yeah, for four he months. He was there for four months. He was there for four months, uh, ate only chocolate, <laughs> drank only milk, and watched most of these films naked. Uh, <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> he had a bunch of Kleenex boxes that he stacked and rearranged to keep himself busy. <laughs> I don't know what all the Kleenexes were for, but I think we, we don't know. want to know. I think we know. He had a cold. Yeah. <laughs> Orange juice can't fix all nope. problems. Nope. After this uh, fiasco, though, he moved into a hotel in Beverly Hills and brought his wife and all his girlfriends. Oh, oh there it is. Yep. <laughs> Here he watched more movies, this time almost completely naked, except for a napkin which he placed directly over his dick. Oh. He spent $11 million over the course of a year at this hotel. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. What it must be like to be rich. Right. <laughs> Um, in 1968, he had a film called Ice Station Zebra running on loop in his house until it ran through 150 times. Oh my god. This film is 148 minutes long, which means the film ran for over two weeks. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> Apparently Weird. he likes movies yeah. and really likes Ice Station Zebra. Have you seen it? Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he got addicted to codeine as a result from the pain of his crashes and also had a disorder he developed called RSD slash CRPS, which basically means you feel pain when you shouldn't. So Ooh. like cutting your hair and trimming your nails hurts like hell. Ooh. He also stored his piss in bottles. <laughs> <laughs> What? Yeah, well, he did, but that's enough uh, about him. Okay. And when we come back, we'll hear how Howard Hughes left the stage. I think we need to take a break. I think we need to take a break. And I gotta organize some pee and <laughs> Kleenex boxes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about Joshua Abraham Norton's adult life. And we are back to We Talk About Dead People, and when we left off, we had been talking about Howard Hughes. I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Actually, you should. That oh. was entertaining. Oh, uh, okay. In that case, um, we're, uh, we're going to be talking... Uh, fuck, I can't bring it back. <laughs> we're going to be talking about Joshua Abraham Norton's adult life. Take it away, James. Okay. So, when we last... last, 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 last <laughs> <laughs> Flub right out of the gate. Yes. Great. Uh, okay. We're going to do well. <laughs> Let me start over. So, we're going to be talking about Joshua Abraham Norton's adult life. Take it away, James. When we last left Norton, he had just filed bankruptcy because he had made a bad investment with Peruvian Rice. Right. So a year after filing for bankruptcy, Norton did the only logical thing. And what was that, James? Well, uh, Joshua Abraham Norton declared himself Emperor of these United States. Uh, okay, so we've got this penniless ex-millionaire mm. um, who has yeah. just declared himself the Emperor of the United States. Yeah, Peruvian rice will do that to a man. I was gonna say, something must have driven him over the edge, and I think it was just all that rice he had. Yeah, and who knew Peru made that much rice? Yeah, not me. I didn't either. No. I, I know nothing about Peru. Oh, I know, I know it's called Peru. Mm. Um... That's it, though. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's a start. <laughs> okay, so he declared himself the Emperor of the United States. Uh, and from here, he would be known as Norton the First oh. Emperor of the United States. That's pretty badass. Yep. <laughs> uh, and we actually have his official proclamation, which he issued on September 17th, 1859. Nice. And here it is. Wait, wait, wait. Where did he issue this thing? I think just in the streets of San Francisco. Oh, okay. yeah. I think. I don't know. But okay, so it was in San Francisco. Read away. Let's hear what it sounded like. So, 
At the peremptory request and desire of a large majority of the citizens of these United States, I, Joshua Norton, formerly of Algoa Bay, Cape of Good Hope, and now for the last nine years and ten months past of San Francisco, California, declare and proclaim myself emperor of these U.S. and in virtue of the authority thereby in me vested, do hereby order and direct the representatives of the different states of the Union to assemble in musical hall of this city on the first day of February next then and there to make such alterations in the existing laws of the Union as may ameliorate, ameliorate. ameliorate <laughs> the evils under which the country is laboring and thereby cause confidence to exist both at home and abroad in our sta- stability and integrity. It's not a bad plan. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> yes. So he wants all the U.S. representatives to join him in San Francisco. Okay. <laughs> Uh, shortly after, Emperor Norton also declared himself as the official protector of Mexico. Ah, did a bang-up well. job. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. We need another one. <laughs> yeah. uh, thus began Emperor Norton's 21-year reign over the United States and Mexico. Wow. Several San Francisco newspapers immediately published Norton's proclamations for comedic effect, but this only encouraged Norton to continue making decrees. Oh. <laughs> one of Norton's first acts as United States Emperor was to abolish the fucking United States Congress. What? And his reasoning is as follows. Fraud and corruption prevent a fair and proper expression of the public voice. That open violation of the laws are constantly occurring, caused by mobs, parties, factions, and undue influence of political sex. That the citizen has not that protection of person and property which he is entitled. Uh... Okay. I don't know what that means, but he didn't like Congress. Okay. So in early 1860, Emperor Norton, who was very angry that the U.S. Congress had not disbanded after his orders, commanded the United States Army to depose the U.S. Congress by force. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so he issues this in the paper too, is that right? I guess. Oh my god. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So His Majesty's proclamation was... Whereas a body of men calling themselves the National Congress are now in session in Washington City, in violation of our imperial edict of the 12th of October last, <laughs> declaring the said Congress abolished. Oh, so they're, they're, they're doing it even though he said not to. Exactly. Okay. Uh, but it keeps going. Okay. Whereas it is necessary for the repose of our empire that the said decree should be strictly complied with. Now, therefore, we do hereby order and direct Major General Scott, the Command-in-Chief of our armies immediately upon receipt of this, our decree, to proceed with a suitable force and clear the halls of Congress. Okay, so is he calling for General Major General Scott to shoot the congressman or just clear him out? I think just clear him out. Okay. Yeah, it wouldn't be good it, if he started shooting congressmen. Yeah. That wouldn't be good for his uh, his, his empire. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, uh, did this work? Uh, no. Uh, Unfortunately for Emperor Norton, both the army and Congress completely ignored him. Perfect. Emperor Norton responded to this blatant act of treachery by making a decree that dissolved the Republic and forbidding any members of the former American Congress to assemble. So he's just basically saying the United States is done. It's now mine. Okay. (laughs) He's just this dude in San Francisco. (laughs) Uh, So this battle between Norton trying to dissolve Congress and Congress just totally ignoring him went on for many years. Wow. Uh, Eventually though, Emperor Norton grudgingly decided to allow Congress to continue under his reign as a sort of puppet organization. Ah, uh, he is so merciful. It's a compromise, our, our yeah. Emperor Norton. Exactly. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, though, the American Civil War was beginning to rage, and Emperor Norton was disgusted by his subjects killing each other. Uh, So in 1862, Emperor Norton issued a mandate commanding the American Protestant and Roman Catholic churches to publicly ordain him as emperor so that he could stop the Civil War. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, uh, okay. good for him. Yeah. Uh, there was no response from either church. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course yeah if only people listened to him. Yeah. So uh, later in 1869, Emperor Norton was so disgusted with both the Republican and Democratic parties that he officially abolished both what? of them. <laughs> I'm on board. Okay, let's do it. Uh, he did not like how both parties refused to work with one another. Wow. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so good for Emperor yep. Norton. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, we could learn a thing or two from him today. Yeah. So uh, now I think we should talk about Emperor Norton's relationship with the people of San Francisco. Okay. Because during pretty much his whole reign, Emperor Norton resided in San Francisco. Okay. Uh, so it turns out the people here absolutely loved the guy and he loved them back. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Emperor Norton spent most of his days walking the streets of the city while wearing an elaborate blue military uniform that was given him by the United States Army in San Francisco. <laughs> so Not a good idea. Yeah, okay. <laughs> let's, let's encourage his uh, insanity. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, whatever. So, on his head, he wore a beaver hat with a peacock feather sticking out of it, and often carried either a walking cane or an umbrella. Are there pictures of this guy in this outfit? I don't remember. Okay. There have, have <laughs> uh, to there be some. There are a somewhere. few drawings I came across. Okay. But, yeah. So, while on his walks, Emperor Norton would carry out inspections of the condition of sidewalks and cable cars, <laughs> the state's repair of public property, and the appearance of police officers. <laughs> uh, he would also go on long public philosophical and political rants to any anybody within earshot. <laughs> He's a mover and a shaker. Yeah. Uh, so, during the 1860s and 70s, there were often anti-Chinese demonstrations in San Francisco that would often lead to rioting. Okay, and what were these riots demonstrations about or whatever? Oh, uh, well, there's a lot of white Californians angry that there were so many Chinese coming in from China. Oh, uh, uh, I see. And the Chinese were often not treated well. I uh, believe it's that. kind of a forgotten chapter of American history. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, so not great. Okay. Uh, but Emperor Norton did not approve of these riots. Oh! Um, in, in, in fact, during one of these demonstrations, Emperor Norton positioned himself between the rioters and the Chinese immigrants oh. and started just shouting the Lord's Prayer repeatedly until all of the rioters dispersed and no violence took place. So he's a hero! He's a hero! That's exactly. amazing! Yeah. <laughs> Here he is! and he's stopping his his subjects from fighting each other. Wow. It's just great. Uh, anyway, the city just fell in love with him. Yeah. Uh, most people would call him by his official title, Emperor Norton I, and everybody treated him with the utmost respect. That is amazing. <laughs> it is. Uh, in fact, we should... We, should, we might have to try this someday. What? Like, just, just declare herself emperor of the <laughs> United States and protector of Mexico. Uh, I think a guy already did that. What was his name? The Rat King or whatever? I don't know. For president. What was his name? Oh, oh, right. Um... He wore a boot on his head. Vincent Supreme? Vermin Supreme? Vermin Supreme. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Look him up, listeners, if you haven't heard of him. <laughs> it's great. Uh, anyway, so Emperor Norton, it was actually secretly very poor, right. but he often received free meals from the most elegant restaurants in the city. Wow, good for the image. Yeah. Uh, many of these restaurants also put official brass plaques at their entrance that read, By appointment to His Imperial Majesty, Emperor Norton I of the United States. <laughs> so the whole city is just encouraging. I wonder if these are still up. I, ooh, I feel I like wonder. for certain there has to be at least one somewhere. Well, he's gone down in history, and we'll get more into this, but he's totally the mascot of San Francisco. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. So I wouldn't be surprised if those plaques are still up. Wow. 
Yeah. Uh, anyway, also in the city, music and play theaters, they reserved balcony seats for Emperor Norton and gave him free tickets to the shows. Nice! Yeah. Uh, in 1867, a San Francisco policeman arrested Emperor Norton in no. order to send him to treatment for mental disorder. Uh, but the citizens of San Francisco were so enraged by this that they demanded Emperor Norton be released. Uh, police Chief Patrick Crowley promptly released Emperor Norton and issued a formal apology stating... That he shed no blood, robbed no one, and despoiled no country, which is more than can be said of his fellows in that line. Wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, upon being released, Emperor Norton publicly and graciously pardoned the policeman who had arrested him. Ah, uh, a merciful lord he mm, is. Yes. <laughs> uh, and from this point on, all San Francisco policemen saluted <laughs> Emperor Norton whenever they saw him. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, so it's clear that Emperor Norton loved the city and the people of San Francisco, and uh, he thought pretty highly of them. He made one decree in 1872 that punished anybody who would call the city the improper name of Frisco instead of its full name, San Francisco. <laughs> uh, the punishment was a fee of $25, wow. which was a lot back yeah. then. Uh, so, uh, Emperor Norton was also sort of a visionary. He constructed plans for a global coalition of countries that is pretty similar to what the League of Nations would be. Whoa! Yeah. Uh, he also decreed that a suspension bridge should be built linking Oakland and San Francisco. The San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge would be completed in 1969, and there have been many movements to rename the bridge Emperor Norton's Bridge in his honor. Oh, I love that! Which should totally happen. That should so happen. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, so through his reign, Emperor Norton also began issuing his own official currency. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and get this, the currency was widely accepted and circulated throughout San Francisco. <laughs> uh, <laughs> awesome. I, I want some of this money. Yeah. Uh, many of these bills still survive today and are highly prized collector's items. No shit. No shit. Yeah. Uh, further, when Emperor Norton's uniform started to fall apart, the San Francisco Board of Supervi Supervisors bought him a replacement, and Emperor Norton thanked each supervisor personally. <laughs> uh, throughout his 21-year reign, Emperor Norton often wrote Queen Victoria of England and might have even been planning to marry her <laughs> in order to unite his em American empire with the British empire. Uh, unfortunately, though, his plan was never carried through. Aw. Uh, so, I fell asleep. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. Well, um, what a guy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Glad to know about him. Yeah. yeah. Who, who would have thought? Who would have thought? And what an interesting beginning, too. He su he's like a millionaire, suffers one bad deal, hits the streets, and becomes the emperor of the United States. Yeah. And the whole city loves him. Yeah. So, like, uh, man, hell? I'm kind of thinking Howard Hughes might have might have lost on this one if we're going to compare the if two. we're going to compare them. Yeah. Uh, yes. well, well, we'll have to see. What's $6.3 billion when you have the love of San Francisco? Mm. Mm. Yeah. And a bridge named after you, I hope. Well, not yet, not but yet. someday. Someday, I hope. We will fight for you, Emperor Norton the first of America The and true Mexico. leader of America. <laughs> the last one we had. We should start a political party called the Nortonians. <laughs> Everyone has to wear a hat made out of a beaver pelt and with a peacock the feather. Peacock yeah. feather. <laughs> no. Oh, this is a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of uh, becoming emperors, let's move over to Howard Hughes' end and death. Okay. And see how his story ended. Mm. Uh, so, Howard Hughes, like all men, grew old. Oh. Yeah. He spent these later years of his life traveling between hotels in Beverly Hills, Boston, Vegas, Nassau, Freeport, Vancouver, London, Managua, and Acapulco. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So, he just kind of lives in hotels. He's just a Bedouin of 
millionaires. <laughs> yeah, and there's this story of, like, in 1966, he went to Las Vegas and um, bought a casino just to tear it down a sign he didn't like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, money is power, <laughs> I think. I wonder what the sign said. Yeah, um... But anyway, so most of his business was managed by a panel of dudes nicknamed the Mormon Mafia because many of them were Mormons. Oh, dear God. And these guys took very good care of Mr. Hughes. For example, they discovered that he was in love with an ice cream flavor from Baskin Robbins and ordered a goddamn bulk shipment for him. <laughs> but Baskin Robbins had stopped making that flavor. Oh, no. So they basically paid them to start making it again and sent him, I shit you not, 350 gallons of the stuff. Oh my God. He said he didn't <laughs> want it anymore and instead wanted vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> So some say that this ice cream is still in Hughes' freezer today. What, do we know what flavor it was? Uh, Pomegranate lemonade. For some reason, I want to say like banana something, but okay. I don't remember. Who knows? Um, anyway, so when the U.S. government started doing nuclear tests in Nevada, Hughes attempted to bribe both Lyndon B. Johnson and Richard Nixon a million dollars apiece to not do that thing. Oh, good for them. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um... <laughs> He, the reason he did this was, uh, I don't think I wrote it in here, but the reason he did this was um, he was sitting in his hotel room and a blast went off nearby. Oh, my God. Uh, and the shockwave knocked some things off his wall. And so he was <laughs> like, please stop. Please stop blowing things up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so uh, Hughes was basically just traveling around enjoying his excess of wealth uh, until he died on a plane over Mexico. Oh. Or Texas. Oh. Either way, the pilots didn't report the death until they were in the States because if he had died over uh, uh, in the air over Mexico, there was a chance, based on past events, that the country would hold the body hostage until the U.S. could pay a good ransom. Oh, jeez. Yeah, hmm. we need some Emperor Norton in here. Yeah, <laughs> come on, protector of Mexico. Yeah, so uh, when Hughes died, he had long hair, a thick beard, and overlong fingernails. Oh, Remember, that's because right. it hurt to cut his hair and his fingernails. Oh, that sucks. Uh, he was six foot four and weighed 90 pounds. Oh my god. Yeah, so the just guy was a rail. just a complete wreck at this point. Oh. Um, the FBI had to fingerprint him in order to make sure it was actually the famous Howard Hughes that everyone knew. Wow. They found five broken off hypodermic needles in his arms oh. that he had left there after bad codeine injections. Oh. Yeah, so... Not I mean, a pretty end. Man, drugs will just destroy you. Yeah. Yeah, even if you are a billionaire or whatever. Don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs, children. Um, mm. Make a promise to Lady Liberty. <laughs> and send the drugs to us. Yes, yeah, send, send, the, <laughs> send them to us so we can dispose of them properly. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, anyway. We are not on the same page. No, anyway. we're not. <laughs> Hughes left everything to the Hughes Medical Institute, as he had no family and no one else to give it to, which is kind of interesting, mm -hmm. uh, being as busy as he was. Um, there's a weird story about this will, though. Hmm. Apparently, some guy named Melvin was driving along Route 95, 150 miles north of Las Vegas, when he found some dirty junkie of a man lying in a ditch. Hmm. He gave this dirty fellow a ride to Vegas, and at the end of the journey, the guy said he was Howard Hughes. Oh. Days after Hughes' death, Melvin received an envelope from a mysterious man that was said to have contained Hughes' will. So what does Melvin do? He takes it to the Mormons, and nothing comes of it. Oh. The estate is eventually split between Howard Hughes' 22 cousins. Why? Uh, I don't know. Uh, because. Oh. <laughs> oh. Poor Melvin. I know. I poor feel like Melvin. everyone named Melvin just gets screwed in the Short end. Short end of the stick. Yeah. Poor Melvin. All right. Uh. Well, that's enough about Howard Hughes. How about we finish off Joshua Abraham Norton? Yeah, well, it's sad. Oh. Yeah, unfortunately, Emperor Norton's reign would not be eternal. Damn. 
On the evening of January 8th, 1880, Emperor Norton collapsed while walking the streets of San Francisco. No, that's so sad! No. Uh, a policeman saw him fall and immediately called for a carriage to take the Emperor to a hospital. It was too late, though. Emperor Norton died before help could arrive. Oh! Yeah. Uh, the city was overcome by grief at Emperor Norton's death. The San Francisco Chronicle published an obituary on its front page with the headline, Le Roy est mort, or The King is Dead. Mm. The obituary described... On the reeking pavement, in the darkness of a moonless night, under the dripping rain, Norton I, by the grace of God, Emperor of the United States and Protector of Mexico, departed this life. Oh, no! <laughs> I know. Uh, another San Francisco no newspaper called The Morning Call also published a front-page article that read, Norton I, by the grace of God, Emperor of these United States and Protector of Mexico, departed this life. Oh, that's so... Yeah. That's so sad. He made front page news just by dying. And both the newspapers called him the actual emperor yeah. by his full title. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so through Emperor Norton's life, the citizens of... Through his life, not plural. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> It'll be back. We'll be, we will resurrect Emperor Norton. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the citizens of San Francisco had largely believed that the emperor was immensely wealthy. However, upon searching his apartment, all the police found was about $5 in change, oh. a collection of walking sticks, a battered and rusty saber, oh. a variety of hats... A French Frank, uh, telegrams the emperor had planned to send to Emperor Alexander II of Russia, oh. and 98 shares of stock in a defunct gold mine. Oh my god, that's <laughs> the most depressing shit I've I ever heard. I'd rather have nothing than that collection. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so because of the emperor's poverty, he was to be buried in a pauper's coffin. Oh. However, members of the Pacific Club, which was a San Francisco businessman's association, organized a public funeral fund that raised enough money for a beautiful rosewood casket and a funeral parade. Just as the emperor deserves. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, so the funeral took place on Sunday, January 10th, 1880, and was apparently a very solemn affair as the oh. whole city mourned. Nearly 30,000 people attended the funeral. Holy shit. <laughs> wow. Uh, one bystander said that the crowd was made, was made up of... All classes, from capitalists to the pauper, the clergyman to the pickpocket, well-dressed ladies to those who whose garb and bearing hinted at the social outcast. Oh, wow. So everybody just loved this guy. He touched everyone's heart. Yeah. Mm. Uh, he was then buried at the willing expense of the city of San Francisco. Wow. And uh, he has left quite a legacy. Uh, Emperor Norton is still loved and honored in San Francisco to this day. Uh, ceremonies were carried out in 1980 in the city to honor the 100th anniversary of the death of, quote, the one and only Emperor of the United <laughs> States. <laughs> Lovely. I know. Wow. Uh, and like I said earlier, there have been uh, many movements, and there are still some movements to get the San Francisco Bridge renamed after Emperor Norton. Good. Many authors and writers have based characters off of Emperor Norton, too. Uh, most famously, Mark Twain based the adventures of Huckleberry Finn character, The King, after Emperor Norton. Huh, I always found that character so baffling, but now that I know... Now you know. Now I know. <laughs> he was a real guy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, wow, that was cool. Uh, both, both stories just so weird. Yeah, both stories are weird, and one of them had quite a happier ending, actually. Yeah. Which is interesting, because you would almost think a guy like Howard Hughes would have, you know... He had it all. He would have, he would have, a, you know... Well, I don't know. A decent life, maybe. Emperor Norton, though, man. He had nothing, and he... He, he became immortal. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he became immortal in a city, 
Howard Hughes, I guess, is immortal in a way. I mean, he did obviously do a lot of major things for aviation. Yeah, but I would so much rather be remembered as the one and only Emperor of (laughs) the United States. Yeah. Well, (laughs) Emperor Norton, what a guy. Yeah, Emperor Norton, what a guy. New mascot of the show. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Bye, pickles. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, I think we should head back to the surface and uh, close this shit out. I guess so. Okay. I wish you did too. I would walk it and train it and brush it. You don't even do those things for yourself. Hey, fuck you. I walk. I train. I I brush. The last thing you brushed was death after you dared yourself to drink that handle of shit vodka. I told you no, but you said I had no sense of adventure. And the next thing I know, you're passed out on top of pickles and he's just screaming and screaming. Well, I didn't hear a thing. Maybe you're making it up. You were in a coma. Well, James, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? Uh, boar hunting, I think. Is that like is that like a euphemism for something? Uh, pff, no. It's exactly what it sounds like. I'm going hunting for boar in the woods. I plan to make a shit ton of bacon and not share any of it. <laughs> you doofus. Bacon comes from pigs, not boar. I'm, I'm not going to even respond to that. That's because I'm right, dipshit. God. Well, I think it's about time to bring the show to an end for today. Feel free to send all your hate mail to we talk about dead people Podcast at gmail.com. We will read all of it and not along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on Patreon.com. That's Patreon.com slash WeTalkAboutDeadPeople. Even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to ride your motorized, uh, motorized roller skates for 100 miles, helps tremendously. If you can't donate, please give us a rating or a like on Facebook. What does that even mean? What? What? What does that even mean? What does what even mean? Ride your motorized roller skates for a hundred miles? Well, it's like a dollar's worth of gas. (laughs) (laughs) As I was saying, like, share, rate, subscribe, all that shit. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of wealth play you out. I'm so rich. I could buy a zoo. Uh, These are all pennies. What the fuck are we talking about? (laughs) There's some quarters in there. It's laundry money, though. (laughs) But what? Thank <laughs> you.